Blog Talk Radio. First of all, you know, I want to just make 
make it known that I that I'm honored and, and blessed to be able to wear that number. I understand the history behind it. I understand who wore it. And you know, I'm gonna go out there and try to do the best I can to to honor that tradition. And that's a number that I've worn. That's a number that I've grown to love. That's a number that that means a lot to me, especially you know playing through and having that number for so many years. So I was I was excited when they offered me the opportunity to wear it. Now, from what I read, you really weren't aware about the significance of the number. Uh, of the number 50 to Bears fans. Talk about that. Yeah, definitely. I understand, you know, um, who wore the number first. I understand that the number has not been in circulation. You know, from my knowledge, the number was not retired, and they were, you know, thinking about putting them back into circulation. In fact, you know, Mike said, hey, guys, you know, put it back in circulation. I want guys to be the word. So uh, to be the guy that has the opportunity to do it first, man, I'm, I'm greatly honored. We're talking to Bears linebacker James Anderson. And, James, you talked about it earlier in this interview, the strong strong tradition of strong linebacking play for the Chicago Bears. Of course, Singletary, Buckus, Erlacher, to name a few. You still have Lance Briggs as well on the roster. Do you feel any pressure to perform because of that tradition? Well, you know, there's, I don't feel there's pressure to perform. I feel there's excitement to be a part of it. Um, it's right. almost like when you're growing up and, and you get a chance to be a, a part of the, the best team in the, in the county or the state, you, you don't feel pressure to be the best. You feel excited to go join that opportunity and to go out and want to do your best. Definitely, definitely. You have an opportunity to do that. Last year in Carolina, you had some issues with your back and your shoulder near the end of last season. How are your injuries at that point? How are you feeling? Oh, I'm feeling great, man. You know, I was talking to people earlier. Um, this is part of the best I felt. Um, coming out of them all season, get ready for the season. So I'm definitely excited to see what, what we can do this year. Now, you signed a one-year deal with the Bears. You're 29 years old, so there's another opportunity for you to get that long-term deal, whether it's with the Bears or elsewhere. Talk about your mindset going into 2013. You know, this is a year where, where you're, whenever you sign a one-year deal, let's deal with that. You get one year to go out there and show whether it's the Bears or whether it's another team in the NFL, you're going to have to show them what you have, what you have been doing, you know, where you're at this point in your career. Uh, and I think it's a great opportunity for me uh, to go out there and say, look, this is my shot. This is what I'm going to show you. This is what I'm going to prove on the field. And go out there and get it done. Now, you were in Carolina your whole career. It's nice and warm down there. You're coming to Chicago. It's a little colder. You ready for the cold weather? You know what? I'm I'm trying to get adjusted. It was it was quite nice a few couple of days ago. You know, 75 degrees, 80 degrees. And yesterday it wanted to be 40 degrees. So that's you know that's an adjustment I'm going to have to make. I'm going to have to go buy me. I got me a big old North Face coat. So um, I'm I'm pretty sure I'll find a way to stay warm. <laughs> you don't have a choice. You don't have a choice at this point. You are in Chicago, the windy city. It does get cold, and like you said, you are prepared. For the weather, we're talking to Bears linebacker James Anderson. And, James, you're doing big things in the community with the James Anderson Foundation. Tell us about some of the great things going on. Well, right now, you know, um, I'm actually I'm about to, to do another program with Scholastic uh, called Real Like a Pro, where we're going to, to schools in Charlotte and schools in, in Virginia and, and giving books to first-grade kids. So trying to encourage like, education and, and reading awareness and hopefully, you know, I have the ability to, to bring some things here to Chicago to get back to the community here. Okay, definitely. And so you're looking at some point to bring some of the things that you're doing in Carolina up to the Chicago area. Absolutely. You know, you always want to make an impact in the area that you are. And, 
and hopefully the plan is to be in Chicago for for longer than one season. So uh, we'll see how that goes, and we'll, we'll try to make a difference while we're here. Now, I, I'm reading your Twitter page now, and I, and I see some talk about the Bulls and Heat uh, last night. Are you a Bulls fan, Heat fan, or where do you fall in terms of that? Now, you know, I'm, I'm a fan of good ball, and, uh, and I have some connections to both teams, and, and I would be remiss if I didn't say I couldn't cheer for the Bulls because, you know, now living in Chicago, I kind of feel like I need to be a Bulls fan, so... Uh, you know, I'm I'm cheering for for the Bulls right now, and, and but best of luck to the Heat as well. Now the series is two one after a great performance by LeBron James and Norris Cole. There, even Chris Bosh who had 20 and 19 as well in that particular ball game. Looking at that series, Heat up two one. Can the Bears win this thing? Well, you know what? There's always a chance, man. You know, the Bulls came out the first game and showed everybody they can play with the Heat. Um, so, you know, there's always a chance that you're also looking at a Heat team that's probably one of the best teams in this, in this you know, decade as far as being basketball teams. All in all, James, how do you see the NBA playoffs playing out? Who wins this whole thing? Now, you know what? How about you just, oh, well, we have another interview after game seven, and we'll determine who won. <laughs> so we got to wait? Yeah, man, we just got to wait until that plays out. I see, you know, um, from from the way it's been going, I can see the Bulls definitely putting up some fighting and maybe maybe getting them one or two more games. <laughs> we'll see. James, I know you're busy on you're busy and you're big time on Twitter. Where can fans connect with you on Twitter? Well, my handle, my Twitter handle is at 50 Anderson, and then um, my website is www.jamesanderson50. That's where you can kind of find out everything I'm doing all my interactions of what's going on. Fans, go to jamesanderson50.com and support some of the great things James Anderson has going on. Follow this man on Twitter at 50JAnderson. James, a pleasure talking to you, man. Wish you nothing but the best of luck. Let's do this again. Oh, for sure, man. Thanks for having me on. Take care. How about boss? Bears linebacker, James Anderson. And, you know, he, he he talked about it, the big series with Chicago Bulls in the Miami Heat, and it is a big-time series. And we saw last night the physical play. I mean, there's a lot of physical play in this series, a lot of physical play. If you love physical play, you love this series. If you love 90s basketball, you love this series. It's not quite – it's not like the 80s. It's definitely not like 80s basketball. I mean, it's not as physical as 80s basketball, but it's it, it's – it's a physical series. I would say it's closer to 90s NBA basketball. Now, you remember in the 90s, that's when the flagrant foul rule came into play. But even you look at this series, and this is a great series, by the way. This is an excellent series, a big-time series. And, you know, I'm really enjoying watching this type of basketball. It's been a while since we've seen this type of basketball, this type of physical play in an NBA series, this type of hate between these two teams. And there is no love between these two teams. You saw it at the beginning of the game. This guy didn't even shake hands. Those guys did not even bother to shake hands with one another. That's beautiful. That That's just beautiful to me. That's beautiful. Guys did not even bother to shake each other's hand before the game. Did not bother. Did not bother at all to shake hands. 
That tells you that there's animosity. That tells you that these two teams just don't like each other. And quite frankly, I love it. I love it. I love it, man. This is great. This is great big-time basketball. But look at the Miami Heat. I mean, and this was the game I thought that Derrick Rose would return. To me, if he was going to return, that would be the perfect game for him to return because, you know, the, the Bulls got the split in Miami, and now the Bulls had an opportunity to go up 2-1, and you go up 2-1 in a series, those are good odds in terms of you winning that series moving forward. So the Bulls had a big-time opportunity, and I thought that was the time and the moment that Derrick Rose would step on the scene. Well, it didn't happen. And you wonder if it will happen. You also wonder if it should happen. And, and that's a, you know, a lot of people say he should come back. I say if he, if he doesn't feel like he's mentally ready to come back, it's no use having him back but he, because he's not going to be the effective Derrick Rose-type player that we all know and love. He's not going to be that MVP that we saw two seasons ago. He's not going to be that guy. He's just not if he's not confident in his beliefs, not confident in that knee. He's just not going to be that guy. He's just not. So as far as I'm concerned, if he's not ready to play, it's no use having him back. It's just not. But you look at it, this game yesterday, the physical play continued. You had LeBron James and uh, Nazir Muhammad going at it. There, Muhammad would ultimately get the injection. I'm looking at the play right now. I'm watching the play right now. Um, and I'm debating whether or not it was a flop. I mean, Muhammad is a big guy, so if he pushes you, you could fall. And plus, LeBron, I'm watching it right now. That looked like a flop. That, that, I'm watching it again. I watched it in slow motion. That looked like a flop. I think that was a flop. I think that was a flop. It looks like a flop. I think that was a flop. I think Coach Thibodeau, who kind of guarded his words a little, but he essentially said it was a flop. And I got to be honest, just looking at it, it was a flop. That was a flop. That was a flop. And so, as far as I'm concerned, should Nazir Muhammad have been ejected from that game? I don't think he should have. I don't think he should have because, again, it was a flop. And I, Jeff Van Gundy pointed this out as the game was going on. He was saying, you know what, I think, I think, I think Muhammad's going to get ejected because LeBron James fell to the ground. That was his thought process. That was his thinking, and he was right. That was probably the reason, the only reason, that – Muhammad got uh, ejected from the ball game. LeBron James is flopping. He flopped. Now, granted, I will say this. It didn't seem like he was expecting that push, and he probably wasn't. But, again, it looked like a flop. I'm inclined after watching it again. And, this, you know, watching it yesterday, I didn't view it as a flop. But watching it again today and then watching it in slow motion again today, I'm inclined to think that it was truly a flop. That was a flopping situation. He flopped LeBron James. So maybe LeBron should get a flopping fine for flopping. 
<laughs> I think he should get a fine for that. I mean, we're we're finding guys for flopping now. So LeBron maybe should get that fine for flopping. I mean, but you look at it last night, even the Spurs Golden State Warriors team, the higher seed came out with a purpose. Some say the better team better teams, meaning the Spurs and the Heat, came out with a purpose. They came out with a purpose and played big time basketball last night. They really did. Tony Parker was big time last night. He was big time. Chris Bosch, Norris Cole, they were big time last night. And LeBron James hit some big shots down the stretch in that ball game against the Chicago Bulls. I mean, the Bulls team, you know, the, the heart they had, that they have shown throughout the course of the season, the heart they have shown um, in these playoffs, it's been truly, truly, absolutely amazing. I mean, you look at game seven against, well, let, let's go, even go back to game four, where they got all those points late in that game, and Nate Robinson goes crazy, and ultimately they beat the Nets in triple overtime. And then you go back to game seven now in Brooklyn, you know, game seven's at the teams at another team's arena, you go into Brooklyn, game seven, and you win. You win that game without Luau Dang, without Derrick Rose, and of course Derrick Rose has been going this whole season, but without Rose, without Dang. So arguably your two best players, one in a suit on the sideline, another at home sick. And you still find a way to get past the Brooklyn Nets, a fairly decent ball club. On the road. I mean, yeah, you're at your third string backcourt at this point. Bellinelli and, and, and Nate Robinson. You know, you're, you're at second and third string backcourt with Bellinelli and Nate Robinson. And you're still finding a way to win. Luau Dang, gone, an all-star. You're still finding ways to win and be competitive at the same time. That's a testament to Coach Tom Thibodeau. You have to give him a lot of credit for what's going on with the Chicago Bulls. I mean, this team could have easily, easily, easily folded. Could have folded easily. Game four could have folded against the Nets. Game going into game seven, knowing that you have to go on the road in game seven. You could have easily folded, but you didn't. You didn't. But this team, the Bulls now, you know, they won game one. And, and very impressive, game one. Very impressed by their performance in game one. But game two, I mean, a competitive ball game, obviously a physical ball game. But the, the, the Heat showed, you know what, we're the world champions. We have the best player on the field, on the court, I should say. The best player in this game, you know, in LeBron James. And we, and we proved our dominance. I mean, Norris Cole... Getting his points, LeBron James said it very good, said it perfectly. The Miami Heat are good when the big three are flowing, but they're great when Norris Cole and the rest of the uh, role players are flowing. Norris Cole was flowing. He was flowing just like a river, flowing just like a river last night. And Chris Bosh, I mean, a big-time performance. And, you know, I said this before. I think I'll say I said it before a long time ago, and I'll say it again. You know, we, we saw the value of Chris Bosh last season when he went down. We saw the value of him and how important he is to the Miami Heat's ball club, how important he is to this team. We saw that last season when he went down. We saw that. And we see it again time and time again. 
You know, I know a lot of people want to say it's the big two. It's just LeBron and Dwayne Wade. But let's not forget the type of player Chris Bosh was before he even put on a Miami Heat uniform. Let, let's not forget what the type of the type of player Chris Bosh was before his Miami Heat days. Let's not forget that. Let's not forget the type of player he was. Let's not forget that. You can't forget that. I mean, you know, his final year in Toronto, he was 24 and 10. 24 and 10. So, you know, let's not forget that Chris Bosh put up star caliber numbers throughout the course of his career. And he's done that. He has done that. And so we forget it. We forget that. But anyway, the Miami Heat, if their role players are flowing, they're a tough team to beat. And role players usually flow very well at home. Role players usually step up at home. But Norris Cole yesterday stepped up big time for the Miami Heat on the road in Chicago. Nate Robinson, excuse me, Norris Cole was big time. And, of course, Nate Robinson has been big time for the Chicago Bulls. I mean, you know, we always talked about Nate. And a lot of people believe, you know, with Nate, it's all about having the opportunity. And and I think that's what it is a lot of times in, this, in the NBA. It's all about getting that opportunity, the opportunity to perform, the opportunity to show the world that, you know what, I can ball, I can play. And Nate Robinson is showing the world that he truly – I mean, Nate Robinson has always had a bunch of talent, uh, a bunch of athleticism, uh, able to do so many different things on the basketball court, able to get to the lane like no other, able – to, to, he's a streaky guy, so he can get very, very hot, as we saw in Game 4 against the New Jersey, uh, the Brooklyn Nets. We saw how hot he can get. We've seen how hot he can be, and he was hot. And he played well in Game 1 against the Miami Heat and made some big-time shots down the stretch there. You saw it there where he beat Ray Allen off the dribble to, to kind of seal that ball game. And then he had a, a big jumper to put the Bulls up in that game. Put the Bulls up with a jumper, sealed it with a drive. And you saw the big-time play of Nate Robinson. You saw what Nate Robinson can do. And he can do a lot. He can do a lot. He can do a lot. And he can do a lot more than many believed or many thought. But the bottom line is this. And, you know, obviously I have the Miami Heat winning this series. And maybe the Bulls can push this to seven. And I hate to ever doubt the Chicago Bulls, especially after what I saw this this postseason. It's hard for me to say the Bulls are finishing this series. I can't say it. As much as I'm leaning towards saying it, as much as I'm thinking the Heat at some point just may overwhelm this team. I mean, they overwhelmed them in game two. Game two wasn't even close. Game three was back and forth, but the Heat pulled away there at the end. Game four should be interesting. And, I, and I'm wondering now, is this the time that Derrick Rose finally returns? Is this the time that Derrick Rose finally returns? Does Derrick Rose finally make his return in game four against the Miami Heat? And this is a, this is a must-win game for the Chicago Bulls. You go down 3-1 with the Miami Heat having home court advantage, this series is pretty much over. You go down 3-1, it's over. So can the Bulls come up with another big-time effort? And obviously, we've seen that they can. We, we know that they can. But it's going to, I mean, this is not, 
the Brooklyn Nets. This is the Miami Heat. This is LeBron James, Dwayne Wade, Chris Bosh. This is those boys. This is that team. This is 27 in a row, Miami Heat. This is world champion, Miami Heat. This is a whole other level, a whole other animal. This is not Brooklyn. This is Miami. MIA, the Heat. So this is going to be very difficult. It's not going to be easy. No, 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 no. So, you know, as much as I'm leaning towards uh, the Miami Heat, as much as I believe in the heart of Chicago Bulls, I have to go with what I know and what I see. And what I see and what I know, I'm making an inference here. I'm drawing a conclusion. I'm making a prediction. What I see and what I know. What I see is, what I saw last night was that the Miami Heat are tough just like the Chicago Bulls. They're just as tough. They can be just as physical. They can be just as grimy. They can get just as dirty. But they probably are doing it a little smarter. LeBron James was the smarter of the two guys yesterday. He was the smarter of the two guys. And the reality is, it's always the one who retaliates is the one who gets caught. But that's always the way it's been. The one who retaliates is the one that gets caught. And, you know, it's the one that gets the harsher penalty. And as we saw with Nazir Muhammad, he was the one who got the harsher penalty. Now, again, if Nazir Muhammad was in the game, would it have made a difference? Probably not. But he has given the Bulls some good minutes throughout the course of his playoffs, but it probably would not have made a difference. But what I'm saying here, what I'm saying here is the Heat were smarter. The Bulls, I think they almost have to play this way. They almost have to junk the game up on some level. They almost have to play physical basketball because they are the less talented team. So the less talented team has to do a little more. The less talented team has to do it a little differently. They have to junk the game up a little bit, make it a little more physical. That's what they have to do because they are the less talented team in this series. So they have to do what they have to do to make this game competitive, make this series close, and make you know, ultimately try to win this series. That's what they have to do. The question is, and this is the big question for me, will we finally see Derrick Rose? And if we do, will it make much, that much of a difference? Because, again, he hasn't played all year. And, again, this is pressure playoff basketball. So this is a whole other level, a whole other animal here. This is not regular season basketball. This is increased this is increased intense minutes for him. This is intense minutes, and the minutes are going to be increased for him. And you wonder how much he'll go minutes-wise. Will it be almost like a David Lee type of situation where you bring him out there? David Lee made a couple baskets last night, but will it be almost like that type of situation where it's almost a thing just to give an emotional lift? Is That's all. It will be just that, just to give an emotional lift. Let's just throw Derrick Rose out there, give the team an emotional lift, and let's sit him right down. Will it be that or will it be a situation where we actually will play meaningful minutes, 20, 25 minutes? Will it be that type of situation? That's going to be very interesting when he does come back, if he comes back. And judging by what we've seen, again, you're very doubtful. It's, you're not going to believe it until you see it. Seeing is believing when it comes to Derrick Rose in this whole situation. And, again, he's being questioned big time by a lot of people. He's being questioned big time by a lot of people. And, again, I – I guess it's fair from the standpoint you are the marquee guy, you are the franchise guy, and you make 
a lot of money. You got a max contract. So from that standpoint, it of course it's fair. But from the from this standpoint, it's unfair because the reality is we don't know his body. He knows his body better than we do. It's his body. Secondly, if a guy says he's not ready, I said it before. If he says he's not ready, then he's not ready. And I can't change that. You can't change that. No matter what we say, if he says he's not ready, then he's not ready, and I have to roll with that. Whether I agree with it or disagree, I have to roll with it. And so that's the way I see it. That's the way I see this whole thing with Derrick Rose. Hate it or love it, it is what it is. It is what it is. So I can understand the fans' backlash. I can understand why the fans are saying some of the things that they're saying. And again, I said this before. I said this. I said this a while back, a few months back. I'll repeat myself. Adrian Adrian Peterson done messed it up for everybody. He's messed it up for everybody. We see a guy come back in nine months and, and rush for two thousand yards, and we say, okay, this is the norm. This is the norm. This is the norm. This is what we expect from guys with ACL injuries. This is what we expect. You come back right away. You come back right away. You come back nine months and you go out there and ball. You ball better than you've ever balled before. And that's what Adrian Peterson did. He balled better than he ever balled before. He balled. I mean, he was the best running back in football. Probably He was the best running back in football before the ACL injury. And he came back still the best running back in football. So he's messed it up for a lot of people. Right now. He's messed it up for a lot of people. And, you know, Iman Shumpert and Derek Rose hurt the ACL on the same day. Iman Shumpert is back. Derek Rose is not. Again, I'm not knocking Derek Rose. I'm just saying. I'm just saying. It's not a knock on Derek Rose. Because, again, he knows his body better than I know his body, better than I ever know his body. He does. He knows it better than I do. So, with that being said, with, with Derrick Rose knowing his body better than I do, all I can do is truly, really shut up at this point and say, you know what, Derrick, if you're ready, go play. If you're not ready, don't play. That's all I can say. That's all I can say. But I, I, obviously, he's been cleared by doctors, so at this point, it's all emotional. It is all mental. And the mental in life it's more than the, most of the time it's more than the physical. The mental anguish is more than the physical anguish. It's more painful than the physical anguish. So Derrick Rose has some nice suits there on the sideline, but I'm sure Bulls fans, Bulls management, and everybody connected or associated with the Chicago Bulls would like to have him back. And I think, I mean, they, they, they really have not ruled him out. I mean, they have not ruled him out. So at this point, obviously, He's going to come back. It's just a matter of when he's going to come back. And that that win could be next year, or that win could be tomorrow. But I'm more inclined to think that it could be next year. Because I thought yesterday was the perfect time to roll it out. And obviously I think tomorrow is another perfect time to roll it out. I'm just, I'm just not sure if it will happen. I'm not sure if Derrick Rose wants it to happen at this point. It is what it is. You know, I'm not, you know, I'm not knocking Derrick Rose in any way because I don't like when people say, 
you know what, this guy's not hurt. This guy is hurt. This guy's not hurt. I don't like when people say that because, again, we don't know his body. It's his body. And I hate when people say and start questioning guys about whether or not they're truly hurt or not. I think if Derrick Rose wanted to be out there, he would be out there. If he felt like he was mentally ready to be out there, he obviously would be out there. He wants to be out there. He's a baller. He's a gamer. He loves this game. But, again, maybe he feels like, you know, he has to do what's best for him, and that's ultimately the case in, in, in a lot of things in life. you got to do what's best for you, best for you, best for your family, best for your situation. And he feels like, you know what, sitting out, and if he can't get past the emotional hurdle that it takes to get back on the court, then what's best for him is to sit down and on the bench in a beautiful suit and just watch the game and, and cheer and coach. That is his best option at this point. If he feels like he can't play, then he can't play. That's it. Bottom line, point blank. But I think moving forward with this series, I think the Miami Heat are in complete control at this point. I think the Miami Heat win tomorrow. And I'm inclined to think that this series ends in five. Uh, This will be a competitive five-game series. And I tweeted this the other day. There was a, a, a small guy, a feisty short guy back in 2001 for the Philadelphia 76ers named Allen Iverson. And Allen Iverson and his Philadelphia 76ers made it to the NBA Finals, and they played the Los Angeles Lakers, the mighty Los Angeles Lakers, a team that had not lost in the playoffs to that point. Well, Allen Iverson, MVP of that league, of the league in 2001, came in there and put up numbers, 48 big points, including a, a big three, down the stretch there and a step over over Tyron Lue. But you look at it, after that game, the series was all the Lakers. It was all the Lakers. And then there were some competitive games within that game two was competitive. Game three was also competitive. Game four and five, not so much. Not as competitive. Game three, game two were competitive. But ultimately, the Los Angeles Lakers overwhelmed the Philadelphia 76ers. They overwhelmed the Philadelphia 76ers. Shaq was Shaq back then. Shaq was at his peak back then. That was Shaq when he was the most dominant player in the NBA, and he was dominant in that particular series. And you look at LeBron James, he's playing equally dominant basketball for the Miami Heat this season. So I look at that series, and I'm drawing this parallel. This is the parallel I'm drawing. The Bulls came out and played a big-time effort and won game one. But I'm thinking at this point, I think the Miami Heat, just like the Los Angeles Lakers back in 2001, I think the Miami Heat will dominate this game, this series moving forward. I believe the Miami Heat will win this series in five. This series as far as I'm concerned, and I, I hate to say this because I would love to continue to watch this series. I would love to see this series go seven. I would love for Derrick Rose to come back. Love to see Derrick Rose come back and have this series go seven. But I'm, come, I'm here to tell you that's not possible. That's not going to happen. The Miami Heat will win this thing in five. This series, as far as I'm concerned, is over. The Miami Heat win this thing in five. Chicago Bulls will not win another game in this series.
Mark it down, write it down, put it on paper, if you like. This series is over. Believe it or not. Believe it or not. This series is over. The Miami Heat will win this thing in five. So all you who was hoping for a seven-game series with this particular series, the Heat and Bulls, next year, folks, because it's not happening this year. I just think at this point the Bulls have – they're at their limit. With what they have talent-wise, they are at their limit. They have shot their load at this point. They have nothing else to offer in terms of beating the Miami Heat. It may, it may be close. It may be close. Probably will be close. But again, I don't see this series going past five. Just my opinion. Just my opinion. But we'll see what happens moving forward. But how about a big time effort? Bosch, Nars Cole. That was the difference last night in Chicago. Switching gears now. Switching gears. I'll tell you in a moment, I'll tell you why and how the San Antonio Spurs will also win their series, but not in five. But I came today prepared. I came today prepared to make and draw some parallels between the 2004 NBA Finals in this series between the San Antonio Spurs and Golden State Warriors. And this was the parallel I was going to draw. If you remember back in 2004, those NBA Finals, you look at that series, game one, um, you look at game one, and you look how uh, the Pistons came out, dominated that game, ultimately won that game, and, you know, played well. And, you know, obviously the Pistons, you know, after game one, you were saying, okay, this team has a legitimate shot to win this series. And no one gave the Detroit Pistons a shot to win that series. A lot of people, was it was all about the Lakers. You know, they in the offseason, you remember, they signed Malone, Carl Malone, they signed uh, Gary Payton. And many believe that was the thing that would put them over the top. That was That was going to put them over the top. That particular, those particular moves were going to put them over the top. And you look at game one, Detroit Pistons won handily, 87-75, were in complete control throughout that particular game. But you look at game two, and this was the parallel I was going to draw. In game two, you look at it, the Pistons had a good shot to win that game. Kobe Bryant hits a big-time three with two seconds left to force overtime. And ultimately, the Lakers were able to pull away in overtime and ultimately uh, win that game two and tie the series at 1-1. When you look at the Golden State Warriors-San Antonio Spurs series, game one, I mean, the the Golden State Warriors were in complete control. Steph Curry was balling, hitting threes left and right. They were in complete control about four minutes left in the game, up 16 points. And you thought at that point the series was over. Not series, the game was over. But the San Antonio Spurs made a big-time run there down the stretch and ultimately forced an overtime and ultimately won it in double overtime. And you look at that series, you look at that game, I should say, and I was saying to myself after that game, okay, the Spurs got away with one. And I expected the Spurs to come back in game two now and just dominate, have a dominant performance. And because, you know, Manu Ginobili said it great, said it best after that game, or I believe it was a shoot-around the day before the game. He said, you know what, 
that game we essentially lost, and I think we should view that game as like we lost. We should view the game as that, as such. View the game like we lost the game. Ginobili said that. Those are the words of Manu Ginobili. Ginobili said, you know what? Let's view this game like we lost this game. Let's view it that way. Let's view it that way. And when he said that, I said, you know what? He's on to something because it's true. The, the San Antonio Spurs had no business winning game one. No business whatsoever winning game one. None. Whatsoever. No, they had no. They should not have won that game, obviously. But you look at that and you say, okay, the Spurs are going to come back in game two with a big-time effort. But the, the Golden State Warriors were the team who came in game two and had a big-time effort. Michael Thompson's son, Clay, came out and had a big-time effort. Clay Thompson was big for the Golden State Warriors. Clay Thompson was big for the Golden State Warriors. He was big time. And because of his play and because of some of the great things he did in that particular game, game two, the Golden State Warriors won that game. And I was prepared to say, and this is before last night's game because I expected Golden State to win last night, but ultimately the Spurs won and had a big-time effort out of Tony Parker. But I was prepared to come on today and say, you know what, the parallels between this series, between the Warriors and Spurs, and I was ready to draw the parallel before, between the 2004 NBA Finals and this series. In 2004, like I said, from there, after game two, Pistons just swept it away and won the series. And I thought Golden State would do the same because, you know, the Spurs were very lucky to win game one. They probably should have walked out of San Antonio down 2-0 heading into Oracle last night. They were very fortunate to be 1-1. And I was saying to myself, it was just like the Lakers, who were very fortunate to be 1-1 against the Detroit Pistons back in 2004. But after what happened last night, all those, all that talk is that, just talk, because the San Antonio Spurs came out and played like champions. Tony Parker was big time last night, 32 big points for the San Antonio Spurs, five assists, Five rebounds, and he did it all for the Spurs, scoring 25 of his 32 in that first half. And, of course, you had Tim Duncan adding 23 and 10. Just, you know, big fundamental doing what he does and has done throughout the course of his career. And, you know, I was thinking Golden State, with that emotional lift that they would get from the crowd, would be the team that would dominate yesterday. But they didn't. Even after David Lee came in, and you thought maybe that would spark the Golden State Warriors, but it wasn't enough. The San Antonio Spurs played like champions. They played and acted like champions. They played and acted like they'd been on this stage before. That's the way they played. They came in and they had a dominant performance. They went into Oracle and played big-time basketball. They needed that game. They needed that game. I think they needed that game in terms of confidence. And obviously, you need that game because you want to get that home court back. And also, you need that game because it's always better to be up 2-1 than to be down 1-2. So, give the Spurs a lot of credit. Give Greg Popovich a lot of credit. He's a championship-caliber coach, probably the best, the second-best coach behind Phil Jackson what, in the last 20 years. Second-best coach behind Phil Jackson in the last 20 years. You can even argue 
Now, when I was looking at this, is this Golden State Warriors backcourt of Clay Thompson and um, Clay Thompson and uh, Steph Curry? Is this the best shooting backcourt in NBA history? Is this the best shooting backcourt in NBA history? These two together, Clay Thompson and Steph Curry. Is this the best shooting backcourt in NBA history? I mean, Steph Curry can stroke it. We all know that. Clay Thompson can too. He just strokes that basketball. And he's the Splash Brothers. I mean, he, he stroked that basketball 40% from downtown for Clay Thompson this season. You know, 43% in the postseason at this point for Clay Thompson from downtown. So that's big time. He's 40% from downtown. And let's look at Steph Curry and his numbers from downtown, his three point numbers. I mean, when Steph Curry gets going, it is a, a, a treat. It's a delight. It's an absolute delight when he gets when he gets going. It's just beautiful to watch. But during the regular season, Steph Curry was forty five percent from downtown, forty five percent from three point range. Think about that. There are guys who are shooting forty five percent as a whole. This guy is shooting forty five percent. From downtown, from three-point range. So I look at Clay Thompson. I look at Steph Curry, and I'm prepared to say at this point that this might be the best shooting backcourt in NBA history. This might be the best collection of shooters in terms of guards. This might be the best backcourt. Shooting wise in NBA history. Clay Thompson, Steph Curry. Possibly the best shooting backcourt in NBA history. I mean I, I and I'm thinking I'm, I'm trying to I've been thinking about this. I, I've been thinking about this. And I I'm trying to come up with a better backcourt uh that shot better. Uh, a better collection a point guard and two guard that shot better than these two from downtown. Just in general, this might be the best shooting tandem in NBA history. The best tandem of guards in terms of the three-point shot in NBA history. These two together, the Splash Brothers, will be enough. Will it be enough to win this series? Unlike the Bulls Heat, I think this is going. This series is going to go far. I think this series is going to go long, and I'm thinking this series is going to go seven. I think this series will go seven, but I think the Spurs will win Game Seven and just finally rid themselves of the Golden State Warriors. It's not going to be easy. It's definitely not going to be easy, and I was prepared to make another I was prepared to say another thing about the Spurs and that was this was a team the Spurs you know two seasons ago they lost to the Grizzlies in the first round you know, were the number one seeded team last year number one seeded team lost to the Oklahoma City Thunder in the conference round conference finals Western Conference Finals I should say and then possibly losing the Golden State in the second round 
of the NBA final of the NBA playoffs, Western Conference semifinals. And I was prepared to say, you know what? Is it time to start questioning Popovich as a coach a little bit? Was is it time to start questioning whether or not the Spurs need to do something? Do they need to make some kind of move to get them over the top? Ginobili's getting not getting young. Parker is in his prime. Tim Duncan not getting any younger. So these guys are near the end of their careers. They're near the end of their career. I was prepared to say maybe the Spurs need to think about doing something to get themselves over the top. Is it time to break up their big three of Parker, Ginobili, and Duncan? Is it time to start thinking about that? I mean, and I think it's something that, I mean, obviously the Spurs, because of what happened with Russell Westbrook, the Western Conference is opening up for them. So there's, I think they have a very good shot to make the NBA Finals. I think the Grizzlies also have a great shot. I talked about the Grizzlies last week in terms of their opportunity and their chances of making the NBA Finals. Now, now, the Grizzlies now, they're in a battle with the Oklahoma City Thunder. The Thunder won game one. Kevin Durant was special. Kevin Durant hit some big-time shots in game one. Game two, Mike Conley was big-time for the Memphis Grizzlies there in that fourth quarter and ultimately led the Grizzlies and helped the Grizzlies beat OKC in, that, in game two. Should be interesting what happens here in game three. I just don't see – I don't think the war, the not the Warriors, I don't think OKC has enough. I don't think OKC has enough to get by the Grizzlies. I just don't. The Grizzlies are a very good basketball team. OKC was, was – obviously was a Westbrook and it was Durant. And everybody else, all the, the role players, Ibaka, Perkins, Fisher, all those guys surrounding, Kevin Martin as well. And, you know, obviously Westbrook is down, so that changes a lot of things. But I'm looking at OKC, and obviously they're good enough to compete, obviously, with the Grizzlies. They're good enough to give the Grizzlies a tough series. I just don't think they have enough to beat the Grizzlies. I just don't. And to me, it was a referendum on the James Harden trade. And, and to me, I looked at that trade at the time, hated it, and hate it right now. But it is what it is. He's done. He's gone. He's in Houston. He's doing his thing. He's putting up big-time numbers. Now OKC has to do what they have to do moving forward. Will it be enough? I don't think – I mean, obviously, they're going to need Kevin Martin to be that consistent – Number two guy, he's gonna he's gonna have to move up from being number three, number three or four in terms of scoring to number two, and you know he scored some points in this league. He definitely scored a lot of points in this league, Kevin Martin. Let's not sleep on that. Kevin Martin has put up a lot of points, has put up numbers in this league. So let's be clear about that. He's done that throughout the course of his career. He's put up numbers. Is he James Harden? No. Is he Russell Westbrook? No, of course not. But he's going to have to step his play up. He's going to have to play better if OKC has any chances. He's got to be consistent. I mean, he can't put one game have you know score twenty points and then the next game put up a stinker. He can't do that. He just can't. He can't do that. And in these playoffs. Kevin Martin, 14 points per game 
throughout the course of these playoffs at this point. Uh, 29 minutes a game for him. He's got to be consistent. He has to step that number up. That 14 points per game almost has to be what? 17, 18 points a game, close to 20. Somebody's going to have to fill that void. I think Kevin Martin, obviously you're going to need other people to step up to fill that void. Reggie Jackson, Serge Ibaka, Fisher, Cephalosha. These guys are going to have to step up as well and score some points for for OKC. But Kevin Martin is the guy, to me, that has to step up. He's the one that, to me, has to put up numbers if OKC has any shot of winning this particular series and has any shot of advancing in these playoffs. Kevin Martin has to be the guy. Kevin Martin has to be the guy. Is he capable of of buckets? Kevin Martin is capable of buckets. He's capable of buckets. He is. But he has to be consistent. He has to be much more consistent. He can't have bad nights right now. He just can't. This is not the time for him to have an off night. It's just not. It's not the time for him to have off nights. He's got to be better. He's got to be better. Those 14 points per game have to be 18 to 20 points per game if OKC has any hope, any hope, whatsoever of advancing. Those numbers have to be better. He's like I said, he's capable of scoring a lot of points. He's a guy who gets to the line. He's a guy who who can shoot the three ball. He's got to score a lot of points. He's got to score more. He's got to do more. Kevin Durant needs help. He needs help. Kevin Martin, two for eleven. In game two, and that's a game that they lost. Kevin Durant, 36 points. So he he did what he had to do with Kevin Durant. Kevin Martin, on the other hand, two for nine. He did not do what he had to do in that particular game. He did not do what he had to do in that particular game. He just didn't. You know, we look at game one for Kevin Martin, the game that OKC won. Well, Kevin Martin was eight for 14, 25 points. So, you see the difference there? Two for nine, two for eleven. In game two, nine points. Game one, eight for fourteen. Three for five, three for five from downtown. Twenty-five points. OKC wins that game. He is the guy that has to step up his play. Kevin Martin is the guy that has to step up his play. He has to play better if OKC has any shot of winning this series. He has to. He has to play better. That's the only way OKC can win this series. Kevin Martin has to be more consistent. 8 for 14 for 25 points in game one, 2 for 11 for nine, and 9 points in game two. See what I'm talking about? He has to be more consistent. He just has to. 
If he's not, OKC cannot win this series. OKC cannot win this series if Kevin Martin is not falling. He can't. They can't. It's just not possible. I'll, I'll, I'll even prove my point even further if you have any doubts about it. Game six against the Houston Rockets. Closeout game for OKC. Kevin Martin, 7-for-13, 3-for-5 from downtown, 25 points. You get where I'm going with this? You understand where I'm going with this? Now, that was game six. Let's go to game five in that series against OKC. Let's go to game five. And let's see what happened in game five for OKC. This is a game, by the way, that they lost. You know why they lost? It wasn't because of Kevin Durant, 36 big points, 7 rebounds, 7 assists. It wasn't because of Reggie Jackson, 7 for 15, 20 points in that game. It wasn't because of him. It wasn't because of Serge Ibaka, 14 points, 9 rebounds in that game. It was because Kevin Martin was 1 for 10 and 3 points in that game. That is game number 5. And, ironically enough, guess who lost that game? OKC lost that game. So you're starting to get the point. When Kevin Martin goes well, OKC goes well. When Kevin Martin goes south, OKC goes south. Now, I think you've got the point. And the point I'm trying to make is, in order for Oklahoma City to get past the Memphis Grizzlies, Kevin Martin has to be big time. Kevin Martin has to be big time. If Kevin Martin is not big time, if Kevin Martin is 2 for 11 for 9 points, Oklahoma City is going to lose. If Kevin Martin is balling, OKC is going to win. It's that simple. As Kevin Martin goes, not Kevin Durant, because you know what you're going to get from Kevin Durant night in and night out. As Kevin Martin goes, so does Oklahoma City. They follow as Kevin Martin goes. If Kevin Martin ball is balling, OKC is fine. If Kevin Martin is slipping, OKC is not so fine. Kevin Martin needs to be 2010-2011 Kevin Martin. He needs to turn back the clock when, when he was with the Houston Rockets and was averaging 23 points per game. He needs to be that guy. He needs to revert back to that guy. He needs to be that guy. If Oklahoma City has any shot of winning this series, any shot of winning this series and advancing, Kevin Martin has to be big time. He has to be. Otherwise, and I just illustrated it right here. Just gave you an illustration of why Kevin Martin's important. Game one, scored 25 points. Game two, scored nine points. Game one, they won. Game two, they lost. What was the difference? What was the difference? It's Kevin Martin. It's not having that number two guy. Somebody has to pick up 
their place. Somebody has to replace some of the points that Russell Westbrook was putting up for OKC. Somebody has to come up with the points. We shall see who can do it. I know a guy who is capable of doing it, and that guy who is capable of doing it is Kevin Martin. Kevin Martin is capable of doing it. He's capable of doing it. He's capable. And will he? We shall see. We shall see. Should be interesting what happens moving forward. The second hour of Go For It starts right now. Almeida, a.k.a. Corey Live, host of Picturica on the Hub and warm-up host for American Idol and Dancing with the Stars. And right now, you are listening to Go For It on Blog Talk Radio with my man, Paulie G and Jeremy. Get it! We're back. Second hour of Go For It. In this hour, we're expected to be joined by uh, Captain Munnerlin, corner for the Carolina Panthers as he prepares for this upcoming NFL season. NFL season, all the mini camps, the rookie camps and everything, is going on right now. It's going on right now, hot and heavy. A lot of rookie camps going on around the league. A lot of rookie camps going on right now around the league. So, you know, the captain is preparing for the NFL season. So right around the corner, psych. You wish. We all wish. We all hope that it was right around the corner. We all hoped that it was right around the corner, but it's not. But the NBA playoffs are hot and heavy. And that's a good thing. That is always a good thing. The NBA playoffs, the most wonderful time of the year. The most wonderful time of the year. It's the most wonderful time of the year. Yes, it is. Let's switch gears now. Eddie Jordan. You know Eddie Jordan, assistant coach for the Lakers this season, now the head coach at Rutgers. And we all know what happened with Rutgers this season and Mike Rice and some of the things that transpired there. Some of the craziness going on. We've seen uh, the practice tapes. We've seen it all. But before we get to that, we're going to bring in a guy now who is preparing for the upcoming NFL season, a guy who was a free agent and re-signed ultimately with 
the Carolina Panthers. Let's bring him in now. Corner for the Carolina Panthers, Captain Munnerlyn. Captain, how are you, man? Hey, how you doing? I'm doing good. Thanks for joining us. Man, thanks for having me, man. <laughs> and, 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 Captain, you recently re-signed with the Panthers in the offseason. You had a chance before free agency started to get a three-year, $5 million deal with the Panthers. Instead, you chose to go with a one-year, $1.1 million deal with the Panthers. Why did you choose the one-year deal? Um, I think it's just the best situation for me and my family. Uh, you know, you don't play this game pretty long. And uh, me being uh, the type of player that I am, I felt like me taking a one-year deal was the best deal for me so I can hit for AC again and, you know, uh, try to get the most, you know, the most, the best contract as possible. And I felt like the three-year, five-year deal uh, was just at the time what the Carolina Panthers could afford. You know, we was over the cap for a long time. And uh, I just wanted to take the one-year deal and go out there and show the new GM that, you know, that I'm capable to be an every down corner, and hopefully, you know, I can get a um, payday out one day. And now this was your first time becoming an unrestricted free agent, so this is the first time enjoying your free agency. How was this process? Was it enjoyable? Uh, yes, it was enjoyable at first. Uh, then it kind of got a little stressful. Uh, you didn't know where you was going to go. Uh, I know I didn't want to leave the Carolina Panthers. I wanted to stay there. I know the defenses, and, you know, I know the head coach, and I'm real – known in the organization, so I know I didn't want to leave. Uh, but, you know, it's a possibility that everything could have went down the drain there, man, and felt like uh, me not staying there, uh, it was going to be a difficult situation for me. So that's why I chose to stay, and uh, hopefully we can, you know, make a run this year to the playoffs. Now, how close were you to signing elsewhere? I know Chicago was interested. Oh, yeah, man, it was very close. I actually was about to head to Chicago to take a flight, you know, and okay. go to Chicago and uh, – the Carolina Panthers said they'll give me the one-year deal, they'll match Chicago deal, and they did, and I ended up staying with the Carolina Panthers. Now, one reason you may have taken that one-year deal with the Carolina Panthers was your big playability. I mean, you have a knack for big plays, two big, two picks, both returned for touchdowns, and you are, by the way, the record holder for most pick six in Panthers history. Talk about the big play ability of Captain Munnerlyn. Oh, man, it's just something that I bring to the table, man. Uh, I used to be a returner, so I know when I get the ball in my hand, uh, you know, I always try to score. You know, I play defense, and it's not often when, you know, a defensive player can score a touchdown. So when I get the ball in my hand, I always try to take it the distance. And, uh, you know, most people say, you know, captain is too small. He's 5'9". You know, he can't play the 6'4 receivers. But I take that as a challenge, man. Uh, you know, being tall receivers, they have, they have trouble with getting off the jam. And that's something that I use against, you know, big tall receivers. So, uh I'm excited, man, about this year, man, and, you know, my playmaker ability, you know, that it can show each and every Sunday. Now, you look at last year, your defense had some struggles during the season, but you guys did draft Star Latouille, a guy that many people is going to be big time for you guys. What do you believe was the reason for your struggles last season at a defensive end? Uh, I just, you know, getting the right guys in the right situation. Uh, you know, it took us a minute uh, to move uh, Luke Keekly middle linebacker, and it played out pretty well for us. And, you know, it's just staying healthy, too, on defense. We had a couple of defensive linemen go down early in the year, and, you know, it kind of had to rotate some guys, bring some guys like, bring some guys in that can help us. And uh, when, when we got settled in, I feel like we was a very dangerous defense towards the end of the year. We're talking to Panthers corners. Uh, Captain Munnerlyn, as he prepares for the upcoming 
NFL season. How excited are you to have Star Latour on your roster? Oh, man, I'm very excited, man. I, I heard the guy could have went, you know, top five easy. And, uh, but he didn't. He, he fell to our arms, and I feel like that's a blessing for the team and a blessing for us, man. He's going to make our linebackers' job a whole lot easy. And uh, those guys, when, when them, them, the offensive line is not running up to the linebackers, and, you know, you can say those guys, and I feel like we got the big play linebackers to make any play. And uh, I'm excited to see what he brings to the table, and I'm excited to see the linebackers, you know, run free this year. Now, you, you did sign that one-year deal, so this is an opportunity, again, for you to ultimately get paid next season. And I was reading an article, and, and you said that, quote, you got to stay disciplined in the offseason. You can get very out of shape if you're not. What have you done in this offseason to stay disciplined and ultimately get yourself in the best shape of your life? Oh, man, just always working out, man. Uh, I train hard. and uh, Right now, we actually in a little training phase up there with the Carolina Panthers. Okay. Now you just gotta watch what you eat. Uh, I'm at the age of now. I'm 25 now. That you know that weight that you gain on the off season, you know, it's hard to hard to knock off. So you have to watch what you eat and you know just train extra hard, man, and take care of that body. That's the most important thing is your body. Like your body is it's your money maker. If you take care of your body, you know it, it can take you a long ways. So you definitely have to take care of that money maker. And I, I look at you guys last season. You got off got off to a slow start, but you finished very strong. What was the reason for the turnaround? Oh, man, it's just guys, you know, finally got it, and we found a way how to win. You know, if you look at some of our games last year, it was, it was tough. You know, the situation was very tough. We'll be winning by 11 points with three minutes left and let a team come back and beat us. It's just learn how to win, man, and learn how to finish in games, and that's what we did towards the end of the year. And I felt like we saved our coach's job by that. You know, we knew our coach's job was on the line, and, you know, a lot of players were like, man, you know, they like Coach Rivera. He's a great coach, man. Let's go out here and win these last games for him. And we went out there and did it. And a guy who's going to be a key to your success in 2013 is Cam Newton. He had a big-time rookie season, had some struggles earlier uh, last season, finished kind of strong for you guys. You looking for big things out of Cam in 2013? Oh, yeah, man. I'm looking for some real big things out of Cam, man. He's he's an elite quarterback. I feel like he's one of the best in the league already, man. He's just young. And once he gets everything down, it's going to be scary, man, the guy. He can throw, he can run, he he can read coverages, man. So if Cam is just, you know, play B Cam Newton and, and just do what he did his first year, I feel like we'll be okay. We're talking to Panthers corner, Captain Munnerlin. And, Captain, you, you're you obviously happy with your offseason and some of the things you guys did. And, again, you guys finished very strong near the end of 2012. How close are you guys to making the playoffs? I know that was one of your goals this season. How close are you guys to doing that? Oh, we're very close, man. If, if you look at some of the games we lost last year, uh, we were first down away or you know, maybe even a, a tackle away. So uh, we just got to keep pushing, man. So we're very close. If, I think we were like two games or three games out of the playoffs, man. If we would have won two or three of them games in our division, things could have been a whole lot different. So uh, we just got to keep pushing, man, you know, work hard in the offseason. The time that we got now with each other, just jail more and, you know, go out there and, and finish games. That's the most important thing this year is just finishing, man. Uh, we got to learn how to finish it and get those wins. Definitely. There were a lot of games where you guys were pretty close. You just couldn't finish, like you said. Uh, another personal goal for you, another goal, and this is a personal goal for you, is the Pro Bowl. You said you put in the work. Will we see you in Hawaii next year? Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. I'm putting in the work right now as we speak, man. Uh, you know, I feel like, no, nah, I can't take a day off. I can't take a day off. I always got to do something. 
if it's just going running on the treadmill or you know do some abs or something, man. I, I have to do something, and that's my goal, man. I'm I'm trying to get to Hawaii, man. Uh, I want to be the one of the best corners in the league. You know, I want to be the elite guy. I feel like I got the, the talent to do it. You know, most people look at me and say, oh, he's 5'9". You know, he can't be an elite guy, but there's a lot of guys that go out there and do it at 5'9". I, I look at Antoine Whitfield's game, and I, I try to mark his game a little. You know, he's still he tackle, he's can cover, and he's, he's not that big of a guy. So uh, right. I try to look at his game a lot, and, you know, study him so I can go out there and, you know, hopefully I can get some Pro Bowl like he did. Now, Captain, I was listening to a song this morning, Drake Started From the Bottom, and, and <laughs> it reminds me of you. It reminds me of you. I mean, yeah. you made that journey from seventh-round draft pick to starter last year. You're, you're probably going to go into camp as a starter for the Carolina Panthers. Talk about the journey for you. Oh, man, it's been a tough road, man. Uh, you know, I left school early thinking I was going to go higher in the draft, but I did, and I fell to the seventh round. Uh, but, uh, hey, like you said, like that Drake song, man, I started from the bottom, <laughs> and I just worked myself up, man. And, and I went into my on my rookie year, you know, guys were like, oh, he might just make practice squad. I was like, what? Practice squad? I was like, nah. So I worked hard each and every day at practice, man. I showed my coaches, you know, what I can do. And, uh, and I ended up being the third corner my rookie year, and my second year come around, a guy got hurt, and I ended up starting. And third year, I was a starter. And last year, man, I ended up starting. So it's just something that I always do, man. Just been working hard my whole life. Uh, uh, that song, actually, a little theme song for the summer for me. So I okay. feel like I always started from the bottom, and uh, I got to take it to the top, man. Now, I, I was on your Twitter feed, and fans go to his Twitter feed, at Captain underscore 41, and uh, you said Real Heat fan. Uh, under I forgot was it Asterix Real Heat fan I forgot the the thing that you wrote but you put yeah. Real Heat fan and yeah. you know I'm looking at that and you know I see a lot of fake Heat fans out here I'm not a Heat fan but I see a lot of fake Heat fans out here guys who became Miami Heat fans after LeBron James was saying that he's taking his talents to South Beach I mean talk about being a real Heat fan how long have you been a real Heat fan? Well, you were you. I'm one of those guys you're talking about there because I, I love LeBron James. LeBron James is my favorite player. When he went down there, I took my talent to South Beach with him. Oh man! Oh <laughs> man! But, but hey, but I can't help it, man. I, I, he's the best player in the NBA to me, and I and I've been liking him since he was in Cleveland. So when he was in Cleveland, I was a fan. And when he took his talent to South Beach, I, I had to follow him. But I, uh, my my teammates always get on me all the time about that. They be like, man, you didn't like Miami when he was in. When LeBron was in Cleveland, like I understand what y'all guys are saying, but that's my favorite player. And if he moved to another city, you know, I, I got to go with him. <laughs> oh man, I, I thought you were a real Heat fan. Hashtag real, real Heat fan. fan. That's the man. word I was looking for. I, I, I thought you were a real Heat fan. I am, man. I'm a real LeBron James, and he's with the Heat, so I have to be a Heat fan. Okay, I, I guess that's good enough. I guess I got to take it at your word. Um, looking at that series, the Miami Heat, big-time effort out of Chris Bosh yesterday. Norris Cole was big as well. LeBron, he did his thing too. Do you think the series is over at this point? Because I do. I think the series is over. I don't think I, I don't think the Bulls have enough. No, I don't think they need uh, you know, Dead Rose hurt, and, you know, you got Lou Aldane who's hurt. I don't think they have enough to beat. You know, the Miami Heat. I think the series won't make it past five games. I think it's over. They won't win another uh, game. Uh, I think they they kind of they kind of stole one in Miami. You know, Miami was kind of rusty. They were missing a lot of shots. LeBron was passing the ball too much. And, you know, uh, 
it just they let one slip away. But I feel like right now at this at this point, Miami's in control of the whole series, and I think it's over. I agree with you. I don't see this thing going past five. I think they had their shot yesterday to go up 2-1, and that was the game I thought Derrick Rose would actually come back because going to Chicago, coming off that loss, game two, and then going back to Chicago, I thought Derrick Rose would come back for that emotional lift. We'll see if yeah. he comes back game four. We'll see. I don't think it matters at this point. <laughs> I think they're going to hold him out for the rest of the rest of the year and just let him come back next year. Uh he has he actually been taking his time with his injury, man. And I hope he come back next year stronger than he ever been. And, and I said this before, I'll say it again. I mean, Adrian Peterson messed it up for everybody who has ACL injuries. I mean, he came back in nine months and balled out. And now we're expecting everybody who has an ACL injury to come back right away and be their dominant self. It just doesn't happen. Yeah, it just doesn't happen, man. That's an injury. It's very serious. It's a very serious injury, man. And if you come back too early, you can – you can hurt yourself up for life, man. You can be done. Your career can be over. So you can take right. your time with that, man. But Adrian Peterson, he's he's a different breed. He's a different Definitely. breed, man. I've never met a I've never met a guy that came back and you know wrestled for over two thousand yards, and it was crazy, man. I've never seen nothing like it. And you know we have a guy on our team, Thomas Davis, man. I'm I'm so proud of him too, man. He he tore his ACL three times. He tore his right. ACL three times, and last year he played fifteen games, man, out of sixteen. And the game that he missed it was because he. He tweaked his groin or something, man. And it's crazy, man. These guys tearing their ACLs and they're coming back faster than ever, man. And my hat goes off to them, man. Definitely. And, and Captain, I know you're big time on Twitter. Where can fans connect with you on Twitter? Uh, you can connect with me at, at Captain underscore tw- um, forty one. Uh, that's my Twitter. Uh, you know, if they write me something, I'm always I try to respond back, man. I'm I'm a people person, man. Uh, so again, you can come, you connect me at. at Captain underscore 41. And Fancy also has a website. Where can fans connect with you on that website? Yeah, they can connect me at CaptainMullen.net. So, fans, you got a lot of ways to connect with this man. This is a good <laughs> dude here as he prepares for the upcoming NFL season. He's talking Pro Bowl. He's talking playoffs for the Carolina Panthers. And we shall see. Captain, a pleasure having you on. First, before I let you go, the name Captain, how'd that come about? <laughs> Oh, man, my mama promised my grandmama she could name the last child, and unfortunately, I was the baby boy. <laughs> I was the baby boy, and my great-grandmama, she named me, and it was my great-grandfather's name, so okay. I was named after him, and I have a son now that I named Captain Junior, so he's scarred, too. <laughs> okay. <laughs> Captain, a pleasure talking to you, man. Wish you nothing but the best of luck. Let's do this again. Oh, yeah, man. Anytime, man. Thanks for having me. Take care. All right, you too. Captain Munderland, corner for the Carolina Panthers. And, you know, you don't, you don't see people, you, I, I, what, Captain America, well, that's a superhero, but we, you rarely see someone named Captain. And that's pretty cool. It's a cool name. Maybe I'll have a child one day and name my kid Captain. Who knows? We'll see. Uh, before uh, we had Captain on, Captain Munnerman, we were talking about Eddie Jordan, and there was a, a report out that, well, uh, Rutgers confirmed it, Eddie Jordan ha- does not have a degree. And, you know, he was a guy who said he earned 103 credits and had, you know, there was an issue. Uh, he said there was an issue with some of the classes that he took and something of that nature, whatever. But, you know, there, there was a there was the belief that 
Eddie Jordan did have a degree. And Rutgers said he had a degree. But it's been, as we found out now, he does not have a degree. does have 103 credits, but he does not have a degree. Rutgers says, you know what, you know, that doesn't matter really because that's not one of the qualifications of the job. Now, Rutgers is a, a university at this point. We all know the situation with Mike Rice and some of the things that he was doing in, in practices and things. And we, we've seen the video. And, you know, Rutgers is now trying to bring in a guy in who, with some credibility, with some respect, to kind of change the culture of Rutgers basketball. And Eddie Jordan was supposed to do that. And I think we'll do that. And to me, it's really not that big of a deal. I mean, it is what it is. Eddie Jordan, whether even if the criteria for having this job is a degree, the reality is he's more than qualified to have this job. He's coached in the NBA. He's been, uh, you know, so he's he's more than qualified to have this job. More than qualified. It's it's kind of a non-story to me. I understand because of some of the things that's going on that has gone on with Rutgers and Mike Rice and everything, it, it does become a story. But as a whole, it's really not that big of a deal. I mean, it's really not that big of a deal that, you know, he, he – I mean, it's not that big of a deal. It's really not. It's not that big of a deal. Um, he's more than qualified for the job. And, you know, Rutgers probably knew that he didn't have a degree. I mean – they were the one that hired that hired him, and he's the one that went to Rutgers. He went to Rutgers, so you knew whether or not this guy had a degree or not. And if you hired him, even after saying he didn't have a degree, or knowing that he didn't have a degree, and you put down that he did have a degree, well, who cares? Because you knew, you know, before he was even hired, you knew you should be able to investigate something like that. All you got to do is make a phone call. All you got to do is go downstairs probably and go to the registrar office and see whether or not this guy graduated. All you have to do is get a transcript and see whether or not this guy has graduated. So it is what it is. I don't view it as that big of a deal, to be honest with you. It was an error, but I don't think it really was an error because how can it be an error if you are the university that he attended and you are the one that's hiring him? You would know whether or not the guy had a degree or not. You would know that. You would know whether or not he had a degree. You would know that. So I don't think you would have to really, and if you wanted to look deep into his credentials, which I thought you would have if you're hiring somebody, you would do the necessary due diligence to find out information about the guy. I would think you would do that, right? I would think so. But why would you... I know they never verified the information with, is what people are saying, but, I mean, it's just a simple phone call. I mean, it, 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 you should know whether or not he got a diploma. You should know whether or not Eddie Jordan is a college graduate. You should know that. You should know that. And Eddie Jordan said, you know, and quote, some of the professors are still around, some are gone, but they all know I was in class and did my work. There was arrogance on my part when I, told, when I was told I didn't register right, and then I left the coach at Old Dominion. I was told my classes were never recorded. I saw a transcript. I will have to find it. I was there and I completed the work. My professors that are still there, still, my professors that are still there know that that's it. That's what he said. So his professors that are still there, he says, knows that. Knows that, yeah, I guess he registered for the wrong classes or didn't do things right. Whatever. But it is what it is. 
It is what it is. He's been around. Coached at Boston College. Coached at Old Dominion. Rutgers. Head coach in the NBA. So, it is what it is. It's not really that much of a story to me. But again, I understand why it could become a story because of the situation with Mike Rice. And, you know, this is a guy that you brought in to kind of clean up the program and to bring some integrity to the program. So, it is what it is. It really is what it is. And I look at it as not that big of a deal whatsoever. He should still stay on as the coach. He definitely should. He should stay on as the coach. And Rutgers did acknowledge that it was an error and in reporting that he did earn a degree. Well, it is what it is. And if it was an issue, obviously it's not. But, again, you you can understand why it could be an issue because we all know the situation that happened with Mike Rice and everything that happened there. Now, the uh, the Major League Baseball, switching gears to baseball, they suspended one of their umpires, Field and Colbert, for two games, two games, because he allowed Astros – Manager Bo Porter to switch relievers improperly. He allowed that to happen. It was obviously the wrong rule. Yeah, not the wrong rule, but he obviously did not know the rule, was not aware of the rule, just misinterpreted the rule in this particular situation. And he was suspended two games. He was suspended two games. Now, you wonder though, does this set uh, some kind of precedent? Because the way he misinterpreted the rules. You wonder at this point, does this set up some type of precedent? Does this set up a precedent where now guys, umpires are going to be suspended for every bad call that they make? Is that going to be the problem? You got Angel Hernandez the other day who, you know, didn't reverse a home run call. So, you know, are we going to see now guys starting to get, uh, umpires, I should say, starting to get suspended for bad calls. And at what point does a mistake constitute a suspension? What point do you say a mistake equals suspension? And that should be interesting moving forward. He did say, uh, well, you know, you look at uh, Bo Porter. Bo Porter apologized to the whole crew that day. You know, he apologized to the whole crew for putting them through that. I mean, Bo Porter is just, you know, we, we as, you know, coaches and managers and things of that nature, you're going to do whatever you can do to be successful. And if somebody's going to allow you to break a rule, then you're going to try to break that rule. Whether you know, even if you know the rule is wrong, even though what you're doing, you know it's wrong. But if you can get some kind of advantage, you're going to try to get some kind of advantage. I guess it goes back to the old edict. If you're not cheating, you're not trying. So, I mean, if, if the umpire is going to let you get away with it, you're going to do it. If a police officer is going to let you get away with speeding, you're going to speed. That's just the nature of the situation. It's just the nature of life sometimes. So, you know, Bo Porter apologized, but he really doesn't have anything to apologize for. I mean, he just, you know, he, he's doing what anybody would do if they can get away with something. If you can get away with something, of course you're going to do it. Of course you're going to do it. And the other guys 
that were a part of that uh, umpiring crew were also fined. But again, they didn't get suspended, but they were fined. And MLB went on to say the rule covering pitching changes was not applied correctly by the umpiring crew. So there you have it. There you have it. And, you know, obviously, because of it, Colbert now is going to pay the price because now he's going to get suspended for two games. Two games. Two games. So it is what it is. And we'll hope moving forward that umpires will get calls right. But, again, my point is where do you draw the line? What is What constitutes? Uh, uh, suspension. What kind of call will constitute a suspension? You know, what, what, what kind of call will constitute a suspension? And so, we'll see. Moving forward, how that works out. It should be very, very interesting to see. But again, 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 Cobra now is going to be missing two games, suspensions for two games, and that's two paychecks out of his. Uh, well, two missed days, which is going to affect his money. So he messed with his money by making that mistake. But it is what it is. It is what it is. But, you know, my question is, at what point do we determine whether or not what call will constitute a suspension? What call will, will equal a suspension? That's something to think about. I want to thank... James Anderson for joining us. You can follow him on Twitter at 50JAnderson. Also want to thank Captain Munnerlin for stopping by. Follow him on Twitter at Captain underscore 41. You can listen to this show and other great shows at blogtalkradio.com slash pgan where you can listen to this show and other great, great shows. Follow us on Twitter at GoForItCan. And while you're there on Twitter, at Go For It Can. You can give me a follow. Give me a follow at Go For It Can. Again, listen to this show and other great shows at blogtalkradio.com slash pgan where you can listen to this show and other great shows. And again, follow us on Twitter at Go For It Can. And also, hit us up on our YouTube channel at youtube.com slash user slash Go For It Can. For everybody here at Go For It. Everybody here at Go For It. We hope you have a nice day. See you later. Take care.